some murder cases are wrapped up within days. The killer is caught and the victim's family can have some closure, knowing justice has been brought at least to some extent. In other cases, the investigation drags on so long it adds to the tragedy. This was the case with 14-year-old Alice Gross, who was found brutally murdered in West London, England. And almost eight years later, no one has been arrested for her murder. This is despite all the circumstantial evidence pointing to only one suspect, a suspect who suicided only days after Alice's murder. This is Alice's story. The last two weeks have been completely heartbreaking. Um, There's not a moment of the day that you don't think about Alice and where she is, what might have happened or why she might have gone missing. It's almost impossible to describe what that pain feels like, but we just want her to know, please, Alice, if you're out there, come home. And if anyone has any information at all about her movements on that day or about her whereabouts now, I just really plead with them to come forward to the police and get her home because that's where she belongs and she needs to be here with us. Alice Poppy Madeline Gross was born February 14th, Valentine's Day 2000, to parents Rosalind Hodgkiss and Jose Gross in London, England. She grew up in Hanwell, West London, with her older sister Nina, who was five years her senior. By age 14, she had written several songs for voice, violin and piano. Only weeks before her death in August 2014, she had performed in the Battle of the Bands in Ealing, performing her favourite song, Don't Let It Go Away. be described by family and friends as loving, quirky and a live spark of a girl. She was funny and loyal, passionate and compassionate, talented with a bright future ahead of her. Despite all her spirit and promise, Alice had her struggles. She struggled with anorexia and depression, something her parents and sister were working with her on her recovery. Anyone who has had an eating disorder or suffered with depression or anxiety knows this is a daily battle. But Alice was doing well around the time of her disappearance, and she was focused on school and her music. From the time she was 11 years old, Alice had been thinking about and designing her prom dress, even photoshopping her face onto different prom dress ideas. Unfortunately, Alice never got to realise her dream of the perfect prom experience, like most of her peers. Unfortunately, Alice would be senselessly murdered at only 14 years old. August 28, 2014, around 2pm, Alice told her mother she was going for a walk down the Grand Union Canal. 
This was something Alice did quite often. She enjoyed the peace and tranquility of the area. It allowed her to clear her head and refocus her thoughts. She promised her mother, Rosalind, that she'd be home for dinner by 5pm. And Rosalind took this to gospel. Alice was extremely punctual and responsible. And if Alice said she'd be home by 5, then she'd be home by 5, without fail. And with that, Alice left for the canal, towards Kew, south of her home. The last activity on Alice's iPhone was just before 4pm, when she sent her father, Jose, a text message. She said she loved him and would be home soon. It is believed that Alice was killed only minutes after sending this text to her father. When Alice wasn't home by five, Rosalind and Jose immediately knew something was wrong. Given how vulnerable Alice was at the time, due to her depression and anorexia, she was known to have seizures. Rosalind believed her daughter's mental health may be the reason behind her disappearance. She wasted no time in raising the alarm, and she reported Alice missing to the Metropolitan Police. The missing persons report was taken seriously from the onset. Due to Alice's mental health and personality, it was imperative the teen was found. Detective Carl Menta headed the search, and he knew the more time that passed, the less likely they were to find Alice safe and well. The press release with Alice's photo and description was circulated to the media, and Rosalind made a heartbreaking plea to her daughter on the news program BBC Crime Watch. Quote, There's not a moment of the day that you don't think about Alice and where she is, what might have happened or why she might have gone missing. It's almost impossible to describe what the pain feels like, but we just want to know. Please, Alice, if you're out there, come home. Unquote. Police received more than 100 calls generated by their hashtag on social media, hashtag FindAlice, and a £20,000 reward was quickly announced for any information resulting in Alice's whereabouts. The Metropolitan Police spoke to her friends, and they carried out house-to-house inquiries. They searched 10 square miles of parks and open spaces and 3 miles of canals and rivers, Police sniffer dogs were brought in to help scour an expanded search area, and divers searched the Grand Union Canal, Alice's last known destination. However, due to all the mud that was in the canal, the mud was so thick that every time the divers moved, their vision was impaired by a cloud of dirt, leaving the divers having to rely solely on touch only. Scotland Yard's homicide unit became involved, even though Metropolitan Police were adamant that Alice was still considered a missing person at this point. Ultimately, up to 600 police officers from eight different forces were involved in the search party, and that's not taking into consideration also hundreds of volunteers that also helped in the search. In all, the search for 14-year-old Alice Gross would be the largest Metropolitan Police search operation since the July 7th terrorist bombings in 2005. Due to eyewitness sightings being reported of Alice being seen walking along the canal, this helped police access the relevant CCTV footage. The footage showing Alice by the Grand Union Canal at 3.45pm, along Brentford Lock, already heading home as she promised her mother. This would be the last known movements of Alice Gross. 
also seen along Alice with five different cyclists. Police appealed to these men to come forward, that they weren't considered persons of interest, that all they wanted was information about Alice's demeanour and if they saw anything suspicious. Alice's disappearance prompted an outpouring of support in her local community. Yellow ribbons and bows, Alice's favourite colour. They adorned every front door, car, windscreen and lamppost. Many were inscribed with a simple message, Find Alice. The missing teen had caught the attention and heart of everyone. It was in everyone's hopes and prayers that Alice would be found safe. But sadly, time was not on their side. September 4th, 2014, one week since Alice was last seen. A couple walking along the Grand Union Canal found Alice's backpack on the footpath. Strangely, inside the bag were Alice's shoes, the same shoes she left the house wearing that day. Everything else that Alice would normally have in her bag was still there, but her iPhone was missing and there was no clues as to where Alice was or what happened to her. And once this information was leaked by the media, two more people came forward to report that they also saw Alice's bag on the footpath, besides the River Brent between the Hanwell Bridge and the Grand Union Canal. The first was the very night Alice went missing, and the second sighting was two days later. This was just another piece of the puzzle where nothing seemed to fit. But police and Alice's family accepted it was now most likely that Alice had met with foul play. Due to Alice's anorexia and depression, suicide was a theory that was considered early on in the investigation, that possibly she may have drowned herself in the canal that she loved so much. But as the days turned into weeks, this theory no longer made sense, because whilst initially her body would have sunk to the bottom, a few days later decomposition would have caused Alice's remains to have floated back to the surface. But this was not the case. And unfortunately, the truth of what happened to Alice was so much darker than anyone could have ever imagined. Police were still interested in speaking to the cyclists in the surveillance footage. Only a week after Alice's disappearance, police did make two arrests. On September 6th, they arrested a 25-year-old man on suspicion of murder. And then two days later, it was announced a second man, aged 51, he was also arrested on suspicion of murder. Although police would claim the two arrests were independent of one another, and they stressed they still believed Alice was alive. Ultimately, this would lead to nothing, and both men were released due to lack of evidence. It's not clear why police ever thought they were involved. This information has never been released and there hasn't been any need to, as they were cleared of any involvement in Alice's disappearance. But another man in the CCTV footage, a man police could not track down. It seemed he had also gone missing. 41-year-old Arnas Zalkans. Zalkans was a builder from Latvia and a convicted murderer, and he was last seen leaving his West London home on September 3, 2014 five days after Alice also went missing. His wife had reported him missing after he failed to return home from work one day. At the time, Zalkans had been working as a labourer on a building site in Islesworth, West London. 
He was married and had a young child. Anas Salkans had multiple convictions in his home country of Latvia for firearms and sexual assault, including knowingly passing on a sexually transmitted disease. But most concerning was his 1998 conviction for the murder of his wife, Rudite. Zalkans had bludgeoned Rudite with a pole before stabbing her with a homemade knife. He would then bury her in a shallow grave in the woods near their home. Zalkans would confess to murdering Rudite. She had been going out without him regularly, and he was convinced she was cheating on him and was going to leave him. Zalkans would serve seven years for this crime. He would then relocate to the United Kingdom in 2007 for a fresh start. And because he was a European national, he wasn't required to undergo any background checks on his arrival, and he was unknown to the British authorities. However, it would not be long, though, before Zalkans would again come to the attention of local police. In 2009, Zalkans was arrested under suspicion of sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl, only two miles away from where Alice was last seen. Unfortunately, in this case, it would be dropped when the teenager refused to testify. Zalkans would often use the footpath along the Grand Union Canal to ride to work on his Red Trek mountain bike. And on the day Alice went missing, he was seen on CCTV footage riding along the same route only 15 minutes after Alice. Detective Carl Mentor fronted the media, asking Zalkans to come forward, quote, he was travelling in the same direction as Alice, about 15 minutes behind in a pedal cycle. He certainly came past her and into contact with her. And that is the point that is the focus of our investigation. Unquote. But it only got worse. Zalkans was caught on the CCTV cameras, returning to the area two more times in the preceding 12 hours, even in the dead of night and then he would be seen buying beers just hours after Alice was last seen. Detective Carl Mentor's heart sank. He knew that Alice was no longer alive. Four weeks after Alice's disappearance, the police did a reenactment of her last walk down the canal, using an actress of a similar height and build, even carrying the same backpack as Alice had that afternoon. The hope was this would jog the memories of residents, but it didn't lead to any substantial tips. And while Alice's parents were becoming more and more desperate to find their daughter, police were frantically searching for Zalkans. They searched high and low for him, even travelling to his home country of Latvia. But they drew a blank. Zalkans was nowhere to be found. Alice is desperately missed in our family. Um... Every day without her uh, causes us new heartache, new anguish. Um, she needs to be at home um, amongst her family and friends uh, who love her. They also made this direct appeal. Alice, we love you, we miss you. We're desperate for you to be home again. We miss you as a daughter and Nina misses you as a sister. We want our family to be whole again. Um, we miss everything about you and we just want you... Uh, to know how much we want you with us um, because home is where you belong. Five weeks after she went missing, Alice's body was found tied in the fetal position and wrapped in bin bags. She was naked except for a pair of socks. She was found in the canal that she loved so much. 
weighed down with bricks tied to a bicycle wheel. Six sections of a tree trunk in a pyramid formation also covered her in the bed of the River Brent. These logs, about a metre in length, had been previously piled above the towpath from where the council had cleared the undergrowth. Someone had rolled them into the river to cover the body. It was obvious that someone had gone to significant effort to hide what they had done to Alice. Initial post-mortem results were inconclusive. Pathologist Dr Ashley Fegan Earle struggled to definitively find Alice's cause of death. This was due to decomposition and the length of time her body was in the water. There was no obvious signs of a struggle or trauma on Alice's body. However, after further tests, it's led many experts to believe she was likely killed by compression asphyxia. And compression asphyxia occurs due to the pressure of a person's chest by someone larger than them, which prevents them from breathing. Alice was tiny, 88 pounds and 5 foot 2, so this was most likely to try to subdue the petite teen and stop her from making noise. It is believed the murder was sexually motivated because she was found naked. However, no obvious sign of a sexual assault was found. But in saying that, DNA was found on Alice's vulva, on one of her shoes, and the bin liners that she was found wrapped in. Her clothing has never been recovered. Unsurprisingly to anyone, this DNA matched that of Zalkan's. Further damning evidence came in a well-preserved cigarette butt that was found only metres from where Alice's body was recovered, and this also contained DNA matching that of Zalkan's. Police would also secure a warrant to search Zalkan's home for evidence, seizing his home computers and phones to forensically investigate. Here they found numerous internet searches on Alice's disappearance. Police also dug up Zalkan's newly built patio, and an iPhone cover was found concealed in Zalkan's garden. This was later identified as belonging to Alice by her 19-year-old sister, Nina. Following Alice's recovery, the leader of Ealing Council, Julian Bell, said the yellow ribbons would be kept in place as a sign of respect. Quote, Today is the day that everyone in our community has dreaded, and the yellow ribbons flying across our borough show how deeply our community cares and has been affected. Unquote. However, it would become all too much for Rosalind and Jose, and they would request that the ribbons be removed. Despite this, Ealing Council flew flags at half-mast following the discovery of Alice's body, showing just how much her death affected the whole community. They opened a public book of condolence and replanted flower beds near the Henwell clock tower with yellow pansies in Alice's memory, something that Alice's family appreciates now with time. The happy and bright space, the perfect memorial for their spunky and full-of-life daughter. October 23, 2014. The funeral of 14-year-old Alice Gross was held in Greenfield, West London. The ceremony featured videos of Alice playing and singing songs that she wrote herself. The funeral procession passed through her hometown of Hanwell before the service. Hundreds of people were in attendance, many queuing in heavy rain to pay their respects and listen to Rosalind and Jose speak of their huge loss. Quote, 
as Alice's father losing Alice has shattered me. The pain of knowing I will never see, hear or cuddle her again is unbearable. Unquote. Only four days after finding Alice, October 4th, 2014, police received some answers but raised many more that remain unanswered to this day, almost eight years later. Police finally found Arnas Zalkans. He was dead and heavily decomposed, suicided by hanging from a tree in a dense woodland in Boston Manor Park, West London, only a 15-minute walk away from where Alice was found. January 27, 2015. Scotland Yard released a statement. They said that they had enough evidence to have brought charges against Arnas Salkans if he had still been alive. But the Crown Prosecution argued this evidence was largely circumstantial and not based on any forensic or eyewitness evidence. Not helping Scotland Yard's case was the unprofessional loss of vital and sensitive information. The original coroner assigned to Alice's murder, Dr. Cheyenne Inyama, had lost a 30-page document relating to the case after leaving it on a train. These documents were never found, and Dr. Inyama requested that she be removed from the case effective immediately. Dr. Fiona Wilcott was named as her replacement. Regardless of whether legal responsibility can be attributed to the state for Alice's death, I believe the state failed Alice and our family. Alice was not tragic, but what happened to her was. Because of all of this, because of the inept mishandling of the case, Alice's family called for reforms in the way information about high-risk offenders was shared between countries across Europe, that there need to be, quote, fair and proportionate rules to govern the movement of serious criminals, unquote. In a response to this statement, the Metropolitan Police had already amended policies two years after Zalkans arrived in the United Kingdom in 2009, and the changes ensured the offending history of arrested foreign nationals were always checked. But in Alice's case, they said, quote, in reality, nothing would have changed, unquote, even if they had carried out a check on Zalkans. That it was widely accepted, quote, both Alice and Zalkans were dead prior to them being reported missing. Unquote. The inquest into Alice's death began in June 2016 to determine whether failures by the government and the police contributed to the 14 year old's death and to examine why Zalkans was allowed to arrive unchecked in the United Kingdom. Detective Chief Inspector Andrew Chalmers was a key witness to testify in the inquest. He brought with him decades of experience to give his insight into Zalkan's motivations and Alice's murder. He explained away Zalkan's multiple appearances on CCTV cameras in the 12 hours following Alice's disappearance. He believed Zalkan's initially hid Alice's body in the undergrowth that he returned later that evening, and that's when she was hidden in the water. Zalkans would again return the following morning, probably smoking the cigarette that was found on the bank, admiring his handiwork, and that's when he realised he was going to have to take greater measures to conceal her. Zalkans would have stolen the plastic bags to wrap Alice in from the building site he was working on in West Drighton adding the logs in the pyramid formation to completely obscure what he had done. 
and this was using similar techniques to the previous murder he committed, the murder of his wife Rudite. Quote, Subsequent efforts he took to conceal his wife. I think they are comparable to the efforts he made to conceal Alice. Unquote. Ultimately, it was determined that better information sharing was needed between countries in the European Union to ensure that proactive approaches were taken regarding dangerous criminals, a major win in the eyes of Alice's family and their supporters. In a statement after the verdict, Jose would give his victim impact statement, quote, I felt the need to find out as much as I can about how it is possible that she could have been killed in such a horrific way and to try and change things so it doesn't happen to anyone else. This inquest has helped me face what has happened and hopefully now I will be able to properly grieve for my beautiful, loving daughter. Unquote. 14-year-old Alice Gross was a talented, creative and spirited young girl whose life was cut far too short. But her amazing energy and passion for life will always be remembered. Don't let them take your name even if the sun begins to fade. We've got to survive through the life we live today. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it. If you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Mayu.